0: Is Dawn Schuler, Certified Trainer and Business Consultant at the Shuler Group with the When People Thrive, Companies Thrive podcast. On today's episode, I'm really excited to have on the show Mark James of Performance Advisors Group. And Mark, welcome. Uh,
1: Dawn, happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to having a, a fruitful, hopefully a fruitful conversation for your audience today.
0: Absolutely. Well, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have Mark on the show, give you a little bit of background, is he's an accomplished business improvement advisor with over 40 years of experience in workplace and channel performance, change management, customer loyalty, and measurement. And what he does with all of that is he helps B2B companies achieve sustainable growth and competitive advantage by eliminating barriers that get in the way. And one of the reasons why I thought that you, Mark, would be such a great guest on the show is because our Schuler Group focus is on people, processes and performance with the right people in the right seats doing the right things at their top performance and skill level. Well, Mark, I think you really focus on that processes piece in a way that, that we don't. And in a way that's very helpful for companies. So let's start there and give us a little bit of background about what that looks like in your work with companies.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, it, it's really um, a lot of the a lot of the motivation for what I do. My, first of all, my overall passion is helping businesses overcome those things that get in the way that cause them to struggle or outright fail when all they need is an independent set of eyes and ears. They help them see through all the clutter and, and the things that get in the way in life. And one of the things that, that occurred to me uh, as I was working on my practice over the last several years uh, w- was some, some takeaways from Albert Einstein's work. Albert Einstein, we all know, was a genius. And he was probably the, one of the most masterful people at finding simplicity out of complexity. If we, if we if we think about E equals M C squared, his famous uh, theory of relativity, which basically explains the workings of the universe, talk about being able to simplify the complex. So I, I I decided that you know what happens so much in business, and I've noticed this with all my clients over the forty some years I've been doing what I'm doing, is that quite often it's complexity that gets in the way and replaces simplicity that can cause issues. Uh, by way of example, one of the Uh, the unsettling statistics that I constantly refer to, uh, it's a a statistic I've been tracking for a number of years. For a typical organization, as much as 50 to 75% of the individual activities that employees perform add zero value to the final outcome. Wow. Uh, and that's due to things like politics, uh, silos, um, uh, complexity kind of working its way into the organization. It's not unlike our computers. Uh, every once in a while, you kind of have to clean the cookies out to kind of build up because it can it can affect performance. The same thing can happen to a business or any kind of an organization. So the key to the key to uh, eliminating the, that, that that complexity and getting the simplicity, is finding out where those non-value-adding activities are and then getting rid of them. So so that's kind of where I start uh, when looking at processes. I I have a disciplined approach. I kind of use something called the performance puzzle, which is a holistic way of looking at how an organization operates and the key determinants of performance, as opposed to looking at it just along a hierarchical or a functional point of view, which is the way a lot of uh, business process improvement is done, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I kind of like the approach that's a little bit more holistic and looks at things not strictly along hierarchy or function uh, to find where those opportunities for improvement are.
0: So uh, be- before I ask any questions about that, I want you to go back because I think that you kind of threw it away, right? Like kind of threw away this this statistic and soundbite. And I'm thinking that's a bigger statistic that, uh, and I, I want to make sure we reinforce that for, for the listeners. Yeah. Can you give that statistic again?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a disruptive statement, but it should be because it happens to so many organizations. 50 to 75% of the activities that people perform on the job add zero value to the final outcome. Wow. So clearly there are some implications there for productivity and ultimately the customer experience. Uh, if we if we accept for for a moment that one of the things that we want for a final outcome or a positive outcome is a good customer experience which then leads to growth and all those good things we want to see happen in a business if you've got a lot of non-valuing activity that's that's not adding to the customer experience or actually taking away from it those are the things you want to eliminate and gotcha. and so that the number 50 to 75 percent of that those individual activities it's a striking number um so it 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 should cause a business owner, even if, even if everything seems to be running in all eight cylinders to sit back and say, could I possibly have some non-value activity going on in the organization? And um, for the most part, you do, you you will have them in there. They they have a way of creeping, creeping into how you operate.
0: And, and it just makes sense because we are humans, first of all. And, you know, as you and I both say, you know, it's, it's we're we're people, it's people doing these things. And so we're not perfect. And there is, you know, life and, and all those things that get, you know, that go on. And so I would think every organization would look at this and say, well, there's no way we can be at 100%. But I bet most organizations wouldn't think that that number of of low outcome producing activities would be as high as, as that 50 to 75%. And so, of course, there can be per- improvement in all performance yep. but wow if there really is that half of the activities are not producing value to the final outcomes that's something to really look at
1: yeah it's a target rich environment uh, from, from a, an improvement opportunity standpoint uh, and and quite often um it it's nothing more sinister than the processes themselves need work they may be uh uh incomplete or uh, over, overly adorned with extra steps that aren't necessary, politics can get in the way. Sacred cows in an organization and silos, siloed thinking, which can cause um, the left hand to not know what the right hand is doing. All of those are kind of those are the things that typically contribute to, and and make for that 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 percentage of uh, non-value adding activity. So the first place to start is to look at you know you start with your processes first, and understand you know how they are and. My, uh, my simplest advice in terms of examining your processes and, and we could have an entire an entire conversation on process analysis and process improvement. And I don't think we want to bore your audience with getting into the weeds in that too much, but at the at the, at the beginning and the end of the day, when you begin to examine how work gets done in an organization, there are basically two questions uh, that you start with when you start to look at processes. First question is, for a given step in a process or for the overall process, what is being done by who, for who, and why? And then also, does this particular step in this process get us closer to our goals? Does it contribute to a good uh, customer experience? Does it contribute to a productive, efficient operation? Does it contribute to growth or our our vision and mission? So those those are the two things that any business organization can do of course, um, there's a lot more to process analysis process analysis improvement that comes comes below that or that digs in to really get into detail. but those are two places to start asking those two questions what's being done by who, for who and why, and does it get it closer to get us closer to our goals? The other piece of advice I would offer is that uh, if you truly want to dedicate to making sure your processes are lean as they can be and they are fitting what the, what needs to be done, uh, I wouldn't assign that work to someone who has ADD uh, or ADHD problems because you have, and I and I, I have a little tongue in cheek in saying that, but you want to make sure that you've got people uh, who are going to examine those processes that, are, that understand it. Can, it's going to be tedious, and there's a lot of detail and a lot of questions that have to be asked and a lot of follow-through, and you may have to go around the different places in the organization to get answers to questions so you can answer those two questions as well as the deeper dive in the processes. So I recommend that you use, you use people within your organization who are not going to be distracted or get off course because it takes some concentration or better yet hire an outside consultant uh, who, who does that all the time uh, because that's their job. So uh, that's, that's what I would recommend. Yeah.
0: I I mean, boy, like you said, we could do a whole, just a whole uh, episode on, on processes. And uh, and and maybe some people don't get jazzed by processes. Um, I, I'm the type of person when someone says system, my ears perk up and I'm like, ooh, I love because I love yeah. my systems. Um, yeah. you know, I joke that uh, you know, when the the family it was it was house cleaning time that uh, I had a system for how we're gonna clean the house. And my two daughters who they, very different personalities, but they both also um Light, you know, they love their systems, even if they look different. And it's like that would assuage any, you know, ooh, I don't want to have to clean the house. But it was like, here's the system, mm-hmm. and they just, <laughs> yes. So Dawn had a system for for cleaning the house as well as 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 everything. Um. So I, I think that's important. And my goodness, uh, so much to dive into when you talk about, you know, what is being done by whom for whom and why at the Shuler group, we talk about the deeper why, and it's that, you know, why, so using your example, why is this being done? And there's an answer. Well, but why is that important? And then they answer, and why is that important? And then there's an answer. We worked with Mm -hmm. um, a CPA firm, and there were the up and coming partners. They weren't partners yet, but they they were being groomed for partners, and the managing partner was so frustrated that they wouldn't get their billing in on time. And we know, you know, firms like CPA firms and law firms, you know, that that billing, you know, is is their the, bread and butter. It's how they make money. And and so I said to the managing partner, "Have you explained to them the deeper why, you know, why is it important?" Well, it's it's how we get paid." I'm like, "Okay, they they know that. They understand you know, the yeah. that connection. Why is that important?" well and and we finally drilled it down to this is really part of their personal development, and their personal growth as far as filling these out and not just from the it's a report that has to be done, but what is you know what does it mean to the workings of the company and And he was able to really drill that down, and I said, "So have you shared that with them?" And he said, no um." But he did, mm-hmm. and they saw those those uh, reporting of the billing minutes and hours; those problems being late go away. So it's it's important that deeper why why is this important? Why should the person be doing that report or doing that particular process? They need to understand why it's important.
1: Well, absolutely. In fact, a couple, of, if if I may, a couple of other examples to build on what the one you just said to, to further illustrate the point. Um, I I have seen this more than once, and most people in the business process management or business process improvement area can can relate to this experience. Um, and you mentioned a report. Why this report is important, and this would be an example of one of those activities that's non-value adding. Um, you begin that process at, right. So you so let's let's say we're talking to people on a production floor of a manufacturing firm, and there's a report. We find that as part of the process, there's a report that they fill out and it's, it's to, to address whatever, we'll just call it X, just X on the production floor. And so in the process of determining, okay, so here's the information that's on X. So who's doing it? Well, Joe over here does it and on the first shift, Sam does it on the second shift, the third shift, uh, um, we, have, we have Eric doing it. Uh, okay, well, then who are you doing it for? Well, we send it to the accounting department. Okay, so so the next step is we go to the county department and we ask, so you get this report from the production floor from Sam and Eric and Joe. Uh, what do you do with it? We file it. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you read it? Do, is there any action that comes out of that report? No. How long have you been doing this? We've been doing it as long as I've been here. That's a perfect example of a non-value-adding activity that no one ever thought to ask and, and who knows how it got started? It may have had a legitimate purpose in the first place, but obviously that purpose has gone away or maybe never even existed in the first place. So that's, that's an example. Another example to your point about um, uh, connecting personal meaning to what people do, to what the goals of the organization are. This work many, several years ago uh, for Caterpillar. Um, they were a large client of mine and we were doing some process improvement work with them and one of the, and this was in the service operation of Caterpillar dealer organizations. So the dealers that um, uh, sell the machines to the customer the Caterpillar sells to the dealer. So uh, just like an automobile dealership, they have the prime product the sales department and they have the, the the service department that that fixes the machines and repairs and does preventative maintenance. And one of the things that a lot of dealers were encountering. Uh, and this was a particular process improvement thing we worked on was, uh, and then this was, this was back in the days when the cost of capital was a lot higher than it is now, but, but cost of capital is still a cost of business. And it does affect profitability when you're not being paid because you've got, you're have got you out in terms of labor, labor expense spent and, and parts and materials to do a repair job. Well, what they determined, what a lot of dealers determined when we did the process analysis was that um, there was quite a gap between the last day that labor was performed on a machine before the dealership could build a customer? So we began to understand. Well, why does why is there such a gap? Why can't we just build right away? Well, uh, in, in 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 the process of determining you know why that was why that gap was so many days, and I think it was something on the order of the average. It was something on the order of over eight to ten days or longer before they could build a client. The customer. In, in, in uncovering what was going on, there are a number of things that the that the mechanic and the service department need to do in order to close out that job. So the right information could go to the accounts, the accounting department in order to build a customer. So what was happening is that that the service department was not getting that stuff done promptly. Closing out the closing out the work order, summarizing all the materials that were used and the labor hours and all that. So, um, as a result, of determining all that, um, uh, determined that uh, here here are some ways in which we can com- the, the service department can compress and get that done faster. And it reduced the um, number of days from last labor to invoice. I don't remember what it was, but I think we went down to it. It, it reduced it dramatically by over fifty percent now how what is how is that now certainly that's important to the organization because they can recover their cost of capital a lot faster so that has a direct impact on on not only customer satisfaction but most importantly um, uh, profitability but also for the employees what what's in it for the employees well if the organization is financially strong and cost of capital is not dragging things down that's good for employees because there's more room for compensation and uh uh, the ability to maybe incent people uh, for for doing the right kinds of things as opposed to constantly having to chase dollars because because of that gap in the last labor to invoice. So that's an example of just one tiny example, one data point of of how it's, why it's important to make sure your processes are examined and you've got to find and eliminate those non-value-adding activities or things that are getting in the way
0: absolutely and you bring up a great point that that i want to move to now and we've we've had other conversations before today so i know that you and i share this this as a model is talking about the employee experience and that yeah. because if they don't know why they're doing what they're doing or they instinctively know that 50 to 75% of what they're doing it, does not result in, in really any great value to the organization, That is that hugely affects morale and engagement. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, happy to. And it really starts with, and you, there's something I think maybe you mentioned early on, and I know you talk about this all the time, about the why of a business. Mm-hmm. And the why of, of any business starts with its core values, its mission, and its vision. And I'll, I'll uh, posit another uh, disruptive uh, statistic, this from Human Capital League, research they've done that found that has found for a typical organization, only 42% of the employees of that organization even know what the organization's values, mission, and vision are. So again, if we accept that those start and begin to at least to begin to define what the why of the business is, why are we here, why are we doing what we're doing? If more than half the people don't know what those are, little harder to deliver on the why. so um, I, I'm constantly advocating that um, any organization should always be uh, looking at making sure that that their employees, their distribution channel partners and even their customers understand what are the core values of this organization what's our mission and what's the vision what are what are our why's and making sure especially employees understand that uh, because when they understand the why it makes it easier for them to connect to that why. If there's if the why is not known, what am I going to connect to mentally or, or emotionally uh, in terms of the organization? So I would, you know, that that would be one place to start. And, and mm-hmm. a, a specific tip um, for managers and leaders is to never let messages about core values, mission, and vision get lost competing for attention with everything else. It's not enough to put your core values and your mission, your vision on your website and maybe in a, in a break room for the employees to look at. That's not enough. There has to be dialogue and constant reinforcement of it and that's a that's a major um responsibility for managers and leaders Mm -hmm. in my book
0: you and i uh come to to this from from very similar places and and going back to you know einstein's equation i i think you and i could make that equation you know understand the mission and values of the of the organization Explain the the deeper why of the organization, why it exists. What you know, what's important. Uh, yep. Making sure that the employees are doing truly value add tasks and activities leads to employee engagement, actively engaged. Mm -hmm. And Gallup has done so many surveys and studies on this. And then when you have actively engaged employees, this leads to things like improved customer retention. So, you know, I didn't slip there. Employee engagement is directly related to increased customer retention. Um, Fewer uh, PTO requests. a better culture a, a more collaborative mm. culture uh, and all of that leads to you know greater profit margins a greater bottom line and to me that equation is 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 very simple <laughs> if x then y or if x plus y plus z equals a or however we want to do that uh, einstein might have some problems with with my math there but <laughs> Uh, I, to me, it just seems so obvious that if you have those things in place, it's going to result in a better bottom line.
1: Yeah, I I like to think of it as a circle or a wheel, uh, and and all of those steps are iterative. They keep you know it, the key, the wheel keeps going, and you connect those things all those things together. For for those that are interested, there's there's a great article that's in Harvard Business Review from the mid 1990s uh there were several gentlemen at harvard that did some research and they developed the concept of the service profit chain and the service profit chain in in fewer words basically says what you just said is that at the end of the day um loyal and satisfied customers will purchase quality products and services from organizations where the employees are satisfied and loyal themselves Mm-hmm. Uh, another way of stating it, Simon Sinek says that uh, uh, customers not love an organization until the employees themselves love it. It's just another way of stating the same thing that um, at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, you have to make sure that, that that wheel or the all those all those things are are feeding on one another, A- and and the it really starts with making sure the employees are are they're properly trained, they have the right skills and knowledge sets, they are engaged. You, you don't burden them with processes that are cumbersome or have a lot of uh, waste and inefficiency in them. And you also have to make sure your technology is supporting everything. I, I talk a lot about something called technomania in businesses. And technomania is believing that technology can solve anything uh, in business. And I would contend, um, and I, I don't mean to cast aspersions on all the technology people out there because they all have good stuff. But I, I, I believe that um, technology cannot solve everything. And the best example I can cite is that I have yet to encounter a technology that can overcome an employee who does not make a customer feel welcome or appreciated. There's no technology in the world that can do that. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the obvious the obvious question then becomes for, for a business owner or, or executive or leaders is to ask the question, does the technology we're using support the business and the customer experience? And if it doesn't, um, examine why, why why is it even necessary to have that technology, or do we have some redundancy? Uh, so that's another other another tip to address technomania.
0: <laughs> I, I, boy, another uh, episode in the works, right? Technology does not replace people. Technology is a tool, but the, that tool should still be used by humans. And yes, I was facilitating a. Uh, a group of business leaders the other day and we the topic was accountability and uh, one of the the side items we mentioned was the problem with you call a company and you get lost in the you know the the menu and all the options and the chat bots and all of that And one Mm -hmm. of the business leaders said, for the record, if you call my company, a human answers the phone. And by the way, we've nicknamed her Miss Fabulous because that's how (laughs) she, um, she, you ask her how she's doing and she says, fabulous. And it's that kind of energy that she imbues, you know, when she's on the phone with with customers. And, And so you're right. Use technology as a tool, but when you start using it to replace or to think that, it it, it, yeah, that it's just it's it's more than just a tool, it's a thing or or whatever, however we want to describe it, then you really start losing that connection. We're talking about customers and customer service here, but then what about employees? And what if you start trying to use some of these technology platforms to manage employee engagement? Use it as a tool, not as a substitute.
1: As a tool, not as a substitute. Yeah. And, and uh, there there are just some elements of the interaction of human beings, especially in a commercial environment where you cannot replace the human brain. Um, And I, I get that AI has its place and it's becoming wildly popular and it's going to be used more and more. I get that. But I, my, my cautionary advice is to be very careful about taking it too far because you're absolutely right. At the start of this part of our conversation, you did say People buy from people. Companies don't buy from companies. People don't buy from companies. They buy from people, and the 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 infectious nature of an engaged employee who's positive it is infectious. I mean, just think about your interactions with people. Would you rather hang around with people, not in the business, but by, but your family, your friends? Would you rather hang around people that are happy and excited, or people that are down and always miserable and uh, complaining about everything? Um, I, I think for most of us, we would we would opt for the former. So it, the, that same, that same uh, behavioral um, and emotional uh, uh, aspect of, of interaction is, is equally important in business to make sure that that, that, that engagement is there. I, I can think of times when I've had the, the occasion to call somebody in customer service for a company I'm dealing with, either as a consumer or in business, and maybe I've had a, a negative experience and I'm not really happy about it as a customer. And I'm, I'm maybe outright mad about it. Um, what, what will happen? What I found happy with myself is that if I've got any, an enthusiastic person on the other side who shows some empathy, but is still positive, it's going to, it's going to calm down my negative ions <laughs> when I'm in that conversation. And it, it, it's, it, it's something that um, all human beings are capable of doing. So, uh, especially with your customer service people, um, I would think that probably one of the more important attributes to have, rather than some of the technical knowledge or even knowledge about the products and services, is hire people with a positive attitude, who are enthusiastic, and are able to uh, wade through all the rejection and the negative negative stuff around them and that that job because that that's the person that's going to do more for you than somebody who maybe is technically ex- expert.
0: Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the book, I believe it's called uncontainable written by Kip tendril um, who was a former CEO of the container store. And mm-hmm. I've talked about this on, on various podcast episodes before, but he made it uh, as part of his business model, hire happy employees and, you know, a container store for, <laughs> yeah. You know, this won't won't be a surprise if you know I love systems like the container store is just this amazing mecca containers and oh my gosh it's amazing and so people who get it get it and they hired a lot of excited passionate you know customers as as Mm -hmm. their retail people they also paid um the average salary was fifty thousand dollars a year and this is this was like Decades ago, which in retail is almost unheard of, um, that the average salary is 50000 And but they were constantly on the best places to work list because they focused on really having happy, positive employees. They saw their profits, you know, shoot way up. Um, So they focused on that employee piece. And again, that happy, positive employee piece rather than, oh, we've got to make our shareholders happy. So just wanted to, to state that as a, as a real life, you know, example from a, from a big real life corporation.
1: Oh yeah. That, that's a perfect example of uh, you get what you pay for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for. In terms of making of conscious decision. And that was a very, that, that's a very enlightened way to view the customer experience is to recognize that in order to have the right customer experience, we have to make the right investments in our people and all the things that support the people. And that I, I come back to that that enthusiasm uh, factor and the positive factor. Um, uh, you, you get what you pay for. Um, if you don't pay for that, you're probably not going to get it. By way, another another um, unsettling statistic that um, I think a lot of a lot of people forget about in business. And I I've been tracking this statistic since I first saw it probably about 35 years ago. It was originally published, there was research that was done by the Canadian Manufacturers Association, but I've seen it done in the United States with other organizations and, and the research was essentially the same. The number one reason why customers leave a business and go somewhere else to buy, go somewhere else to buy when I ask the question, when I'm doing speaking engagements or I'm uh, consulting with a client, I'll ask, I'll ask that question, what's the number one reason? And... Most often the answer is, well, poor customer service. Mm -hmm. And that's partially correct. The specific answer is nearly seven out of 10 times when a customer leaves, they leave because they encountered a poor attitude or indifference toward their business by the person or the company serving them. Mm -hmm. Seven out of 10 times. The next highest reason why customers leave at only 14% of the time is a problem with the product or service itself. So literally orders of magnitude, four times, four X more frequently, customers leave because they encountered a poor attitude or indifference. Price isn't even in the it even is isn't even in the list. Doesn't show up at at all in the list. So um, you, you can't you can't uh, uh, overstate the importance of making sure that the employees and the processes that support them are leading to that customer experience. So that customers are left with a surprising delight feeling rather than disturb and distress, as I call it.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. I know one of the things that you talk about are the four common sources of people and operational performance problems. So can you just briefly describe those four common sources?
1: Yeah, and, and this is a list that, um, I, I, in, in the interest of transparency here, this is a list that that is my list that I've developed based upon my observations doing what I've been doing for forty over 40 years. Um, so this is an empirical research per se, although some of it is based on research because I've seen some validation from other places. But the four, four archetypes of, of performance issues uh, in an organization start with communication or lack of it. Either poor communication or wrong communication or complete lack of communication. That is a very common barrier in business. Uh, and if you if you recall from physics, to get back to Einstein for a second, nature abhors a vacuum. Uh, the same thing can happen in a business. If there is poor, if there's no communication, um, people are going to fill in the blanks with their own information, their own answers to questions they may have. And those answers may not be the right ones in terms of, you know, what you want for results or the customer experience or anything else. So communication is one area to definitely look at. Is there, is there good communication going on? And one of the first places to start is to look to your managers and your supervisors and, and uh, examine whether they're having regular good dialogue with their teams and their people, Mm -hmm. because the more, the more employees, and channel partners and even customers talk. The more you're going to learn about your business. Uh, and at the end of the day, the the solutions to business problems in any business are in the hearts and the minds of the people living every day. And you can't know what there are what they are until you have a conversation with them and have a dialogue. Um, so so communication is is one very important one. And and one specific tip in terms of communication when you're engaged in conversation with an employee force yourself to just listen for one minute longer, hmm. not talk when minute. just listen one minute longer, ask, ask one more question uh, and, and, and spend that extra minute. It does a couple of things. Number one, you're apt to learn more than you would had you cut the conversation off or ended it uh, before that extra minute. And secondly, it's going to very quietly and, and quite positively reinforce to that employee that, Hey, I'm important my opinions and what I have to say here are important. So that's one specific tip that anybody in business can do. Force yourself to listen to who you're in conversation with one minute longer. So that's number one. Number two, um, there's lack of alignment around what's important in the business. And I, I keep coming back to the whys and, and values, mission, division. If If people don't know those, those basic core whys to begin with, uh, you're going to have struggle getting alignment around everything else. So. Lack of alignment is another uh, source of performance issues. So making sure people align around what's important in terms of values, mission, uh, vision, and goals is critical. Third area is a lack of support for employees to get their job done. They either don't have the right tools or access to them, or maybe their skills and knowledge sets need to be uh, changed or uh, upskilled or reskilled because there's been a change in the business or maybe they moved into a different job or because of uh, people now working remotely versus uh, in-person. That's created, as we know, all sorts of challenges for businesses, so you need to examine, are we providing the right kind of support for people who are working remotely? Um, Are we using things like Zoom? Are we using them properly? Um, Do we have other ways to make sure that um, the exchange of information is going to be there? The fourth area, fourth archetype is a little bit more abstract but it's what I call um, lack of intentionality acting without a sense of purpose in mind for the business. And again, I come back to core values and your core values are the DNA of your business and what you believe and what you stand for and, and everything else that has to flow from those, 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 those core values.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So make sure you start with, with your DNA first and define your core values, then do your mission and vision. Don't do your mission and vision and then decide your core values. It's doing it backwards. So lack of intentionality, acting without purpose. Uh, By way of example, um, we all know uh, know, the old notion from from military practice that um, no battle plan ever survives the first meeting with the enemy. Well, I would contend the same thing happens in business. We may start our day with the best of intentions and say, we're going to get this done today, or this is what the organization needs to do today, but invariably things get in the way. So you need to make sure that we have to respond to those things and be flexible we always have to have our, our, our mind and our, our our focus on what is our real purpose here and what we're going to be doing. Is it driving our purpose and getting us to where we need to be going? So those are the four archetype areas. And I, again, I, I, I developed those, that list based upon my observations, working with dozens of clients over 40 years and, and determined that pretty much every business issue that I haven't been involved with that, that can be solved falls into one or more of those categories.
0: And thank you. Thank you for sharing. And I would say that, you know, over 40, 45 years of experience, I I think you can, you can state those, uh, you know, as (laughs) as strongly as needed. So, Mark, this has been extremely informative. I've loved this conversation. Can you share with our listeners where they can find out more information about you and your services?
1: Yeah. Um, well, one of the obvious places to go is my website for my business, Performance Advisors Group, and that's www.performadvisors. And advisors has an O in it. So it's P E R F O R M A D V I S O R S dot com. Uh, you can also call me at 630 882 9107, or you can email me at markj at performadvisors.com. And um, I'm happy to have a conversation, no obligation. I'm a very big believer in being others-focused. And I'm happy to share a lot of information I learned over the years. Because again, that that, that service is my passion. Um, And if we decide to do business together, that's fine. But it's not necessary.
0: Well, and I would really recommend um, everybody have a conversation with you, Mark. Um, If anything, to start looking into you know 50 to 75% of the activities that yeah. do not bring value to that final outcome of the organization uh, to see where there are places where they can improve those processes so definitely check out mark at performadvisors.com and mark thank you again for being thank a you. guest on the show
1: Yeah I appreciate that and by the way if you go to the website there's a uh, there's a free download available um it's an, a values mission vision blueprint that I developed that any business can use to either validate or check against their current values, mission, and visions, mission, and vision statements to to confirm that they're in the right position and and set up properly, or for organizations that need to to, to go from scratch and do that. So I offer that as a free uh, white paper. Uh, It's a blueprint. So uh, feel free to take advantage of that. And as part of that, again, uh, my my basic advice to anybody in business right now is that it's never a wrong time to go back and examine and make sure you're reconnecting your people and your customers and your distribution channel partners to your values, mission, and vision. So again, thank you, Dawn. This was a a pleasure and I really enjoyed the conversation and hopefully, hopefully your audience got some takeaways from it.
0: Thank you again. And for everybody out there until next time, may you thrive.